Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. I pointed out we have to prove to the world and to our own people that democracy can still prevail against the challenges of our time and deliver for the needs of our people. We have to root out corruption that siphons off our strength, guard against those who would stoke hatred and division for political gain, this phony populism. Greetings, hackeroos. Welcome to a new episode of the Hacks on Tap podcast. And this is the first podcast we've ever done that comes with an audience warning because we grubby political hacks are now going to enter at long last the vast canvas of foreign affairs. We're going to maybe switch to French, the language of world diplomacy, to uh, handle these rarefied topics, but they're important. As you heard, that was the president at the G7 summit. We're going to talk about that and a special deep dive on the New York mayor's race. So, David Axelrod. It's about foreign affairs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Who do we have? There's only one, one person we wanted for this, the best, our friend. Who has that range, that depth, that <laughs> exactly. extraordinary uh, intellect and experience, and it can only be... Howard Wolfson, our, our old buddy, uh, former deputy mayor from New York, of New York City, uh, communications director for Hillary Clinton. You did a stint with Schumer, too, didn't you? I did, yeah. Yeah, communications director for Chuck Schumer, an all-around smart guy. Howard, good to see you. Good to be with you both. It, it seems to me the president is doing really well overseas. You know, in a sense, Donald Trump is the the gift that keeps on giving. Um, you know, you show up at a place where a guy basically has taken a dump on the rug, the last president, and you know, you behave politely, you 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 treat people like allies and friends instead of uh, uh, enemies, and it lo and behold, they they react well. Yeah, look, I t- totally agree. It. All he had to do, and I think he did it pretty well, was bring normalcy back to foreign policy. Now all the NATO leaders can get off high blood pressure meds. And I thought he did a pretty good job of, there were cracks, but maneuvering them around uh, the G7 uh, to have a unified policy in China. So uh, I'm quick to criticize Biden on domestic policy. But I think uh, I give him good grades. It wasn't the hardest lift in the world, but he did it well. Yeah. On the other hand, Howard, he also, um, you know, you go over there. And um, I think that those those leaders were really, really happy to see Biden. I think they know Biden. They trust Biden. They, Biden's been around for half a century uh, traveling the world. Um, I'm not sure they trust us. I think that's exactly right. I think especially— I don't mean Germany. the hacks, by the way. I'm talking about Americans. <laughs> no, yeah. They don't trust well, you they're, either, David. Yeah, no. They're, <laughs> they're no fools. Come on. I'm, in fact, I've got Macron's watch right here. <laughs> No, look, I think both, uh, in particular, France and Germany are are one of the reasons they were not willing to go as far as we wanted them to on the subject of China was because they're still not sure whether the old America is back. And, uh, you know, they don't want to go we'll from, stay yeah. or we'll stay. They don't want to go from election to election, having to worry about our credibility and our consistency. And so if you are choosing between the United States and China, obviously, you're going to choose the United States if you're in Western Europe, but you know how much you're going to throw in with us. I think remains to be seen, and um, I think that you know to to extend the analogy you began with, David. There's there's a the, the, the stench is not so easily washed away, uh, and I and for for countries <laughs> it was that elegant, out, wasn't it? Yeah, for countries that outsourced much of their defense and their foreign policy to us for decades. Um, they're still they're they're still wondering whether or not they can trust us, whether or not we are consistently going to be reliable going forward. And and I don't I don't think there's actually anything that that uh, that President Biden can do about that because it it has to do with the with the fullness of time. You know, they're going to look to see what happens in our next elections and our next election after that. And from their point of view, it's a smart move. They have really no choice. I was over in Germany in the first year of the Trump thing, and some German industrialists kept reminding me that their largest trading partner isn't us, it's Russia. And they've got to have their own interests first, and we've scared the hell out of them. So we've got to earn it back. Biden is being absolutely uh, transparent and, and correct when he tells us and tells them 
that, you know, China's message around the world is exactly that, 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 that we can't be trusted, that we're not, that democracies are no longer agile enough, nimble enough, uh, or reliable enough uh, in the 21st century, given the pace of things. And that, you know, uh, you know, cap, sort of a capitalist-style uh, autocracy is really the ticket for the future. And, you know, so Biden, when Biden goes out there and says, look, this is about democracy and whether it it can work, um, I don't think that's hyperbole. Oh, no, he's got to make the argument. But, you know, they're ruthless pragmatists, and it's up to us, uh, we Americans, to decide whether we want to be the world leader again. We, we've, we've kind of tripped on our shoelaces now. And the other thing where I kind of feel for Biden is in the narrow stuff, the Europeans can hold him up a little. You know, he's going to have to dig out of a hole that Trump created, uh, and that's a hard job. But foreign policy has always been where he's most comfortable. So I thought I thought he did pretty well, and we'll see if that turns into political credit at home. But on the other side, as I try to nudge us back into the, uh, the, the world of filthy politics where we belong, Vice President Harris had a bumpier time in her foreign trip. Now, do you guys think all that criticism is a typical D.C. kind of media kerfuffle? Or is it a callback to some of the problems she had as a candidate and could become a real thing going forward if she doesn't up her game? Can I undo your segue? Yes, get out the monkey wrench and I, do your As best. much as I, I thought it was, it was really well done, but I had ah. one more thought, which yes. is I was uh, on TV last night with, uh, with my buddy Don Lemon, and he articulated what I think is the way a lot of progressives here in the States – heard Biden's message because Biden at a press conference said, I tell them that the Republican Party is on the run. It's shrinking, uh, that, um, you know, uh, Trumpism is, uh, is, is, is being turned back and so on. And he said, you know, uh, that's, that's not what's happening here. We can't even pass a commission. We can't, you know, we can't get our progressive agenda through because these guys in the Senate are holding us up. Um, I mean, Howard, that's a, there is a tension there. I mean, I, I don't think that the Republican Party is on the run. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm, I, I'm not sure that I would necessarily associate myself with the progressive wing of the party, but I agree with that. Nor would they accept you, but that's, <laughs> likely, that's another story. Like, we're already getting email instantly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I think that's right. I mean, I think, you know, we are right now, the agenda seems uh, stuck, at least for the moment, it could certainly be unstuck, uh, but but the the Republicans have done a pretty good job of glomming up uh, the works uh, in Washington, um, and I, I don't uh, I, I don't I don't see that they are that they are on the run. I, that 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 that's not the reality that I'm living in. You're right; they're on offense right now because the terrain favors them. So even if they're mediocre, they may have a political victory. And I think the Europeans are going to freak out again because if the Republicans take the House with all the free tailwinds they might have, the media will run it as a massive comeback of Trumpism, which will be partially true with an assist, but true. And the the Europeans will then say, "Gosh, time for Chinese lessons," because here we go again. My thing was the the sort of tactical dance that Biden has to do because he needs to reassure these uh, he needs to reassure these allies that you know these commitments he's making are solid and they'll be uh, and they'll be sustained uh, on the one hand and they're reading news from the US uh, and they're you know they're skeptical so that's a I think it's a it's a problem for him. We'll talk about the practical problems that Howard mentioned in a second when we 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 talk about where this uh, where this whole infrastructure fight is. Uh, but anyway, uh, so that was just a little interlude. But you ask a great question about Kamala Harris for Howard Wilson. <laughs> yeah. uh, Here's the hot potato, Howard. Run with it. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I, th I think the answer is a little bit of both. I think that, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a uh, inside the beltway media kerfuffle that isn't actually all that relevant or interesting to people who are uh, living uh, outside of the, the beltway. Uh, but but uh, having said that, um, the, the, the interview in which... Uh, she performed uh, perhaps not as well as she and her team would have preferred or likely expected. 
um, it does suggest that, that, um, you know, she, she still, um, has some challenges around, around <laughs> messaging. Let me ask you a question. Okay. You're as good as there has been. I mean, I've been on your team and I've been on opposite teams from you and I've, I, I'm going to stop you for a second and say that I'm the fourth best person on this podcast. Okay. So, <laughs> so let's not, let's not over, let's not overdo okay. it. Talk about spin that there's some right there, ladies and gentlemen, but, but go ahead, David. I watched that interview that she did with Lester Holt and she got a question that a sixth grader could have predicted she would get, which is because it's been asked a hundred times uh, about Biden, about her and so on. It's like, why haven't you gone to the border yet? Um, there are a bunch of answers she could have given that would have uh, answered the mail uh, on that. Uh, well, I haven't been to Europe yet was not <laughs> in the top hundred possibilities. How they must have prepped her for that. I mean, either, either she needs a new staff or there's a, this was operator error on her part. It's her, but go ahead, Howard. What do you think? And I'll chime in. Well, I'm not sure. I mean, I think the answer to that question is I'm not sure it matters uh, because at the end of the day, if the staff didn't prep her, uh, ultimately it's it's the it's the principal's responsibility to get staff who will prep you for a question like that. Mm -hmm. And if and if they had prepped her and she blew it, then obviously it's it's at her footsteps uh, as well. Um, they had eight weeks to prepare. Yeah. No, no, no I'm not. I'm not. Uh, all I would say is that that if we are thinking about this in the context of a possible presidential run, either in four years or eight years, I don't think it is the kind of moment that anyone is going to really remember. It's a question of just whether it is indicative of a larger problem that has not been solved around discipline, communication skills, staffing, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, I think that that's a reasonable question to ask. But I, but in terms of lasting damage, no, 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 that, no. It, the question is the important thing. There'll be a million intervening events. I mean, I agree with Howard. If it's the staff, it's her fault. Wrong staff. If not, we have been hearing these these backgrounded stories about disappointed staff with her from the last couple of staffs back to the campaign where she was very uneven. She either hit a home run or she'd run into the stands. You know, it, there was not a lot of middle with her. I thought she'd do worse in the campaign. She did a little better than I thought, but here we are again. And I think the big danger, I agree with Howard, this won't move any primary race, but if this happens again and becomes her narrative, uneven candidate, you know, they handed her an opportunity with this tough policy lift, but from an optics point of view, an opportunity to go out and hit some triples, she didn't do it. If it happens again, then it's going to start to be her thing. And that will affect the calculus of other people looking at the tough job of primarying her if she does run for president, if Biden doesn't, et cetera. So, you know, they're, they're in dangerous th area now. And I think they have to have a real internal discussion. It's got to be at least partly her. I don't think anybody assumes that she's going to clear the primary field. If she's president of the United States, I mean, God willing, uh, Biden will be strong and robust. Uh, maybe he'll, you know, maybe he'll, he says he's going to run again. Maybe he'll run again. But, you know, vice presidents sometimes become president. If she were president going into 2024, Howard, do you think she'd be primary? I don't want to speculate about the, her possibility of being president in this term. Uh, I think the question is if, if, if Joe Biden doesn't run again or, or in 2028, does she clear the primary field? And I think if, if you were asking that question today, you'd say, no, she does not. This is why Howard is not the fourth best here, because <laughs> I threw out a tasteless question that I think is valid and real, uh, and he was smart enough to to correct me. And, and not take your bait, and, yeah, and try to yeah, save you here from your I own uh, Kamala Harris-like flub. I thought I was among friends. It turns out that I'm I'm swimming in a sea of sharks, <laughs> <laughs> toothless sharks. But yeah. well, one one last shark question, because uh, I'll push back a little, David. I think if she and let's pray not, but if she were to be president, pure your you know terrifying, yeah. horrifying, and gutter level uh, I'm, uh, I'm speculation. Not, trust me, I, I'm I'm, not, I'm 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 hoping for nothing but the best. Her staff for, wants uh, an apology. President. They've sharpened up. We just got a text. Um, but if she is president and she continues to perform like this doesn't up her game on the higher stage of president where the errors are bigger and the scrutiny is more unkind. I think mm -hmm. even as president, she'll be in Jimmy Carter trouble. I think this is a real wake up call to them. And now they got to bend the narrative or it's going to become self-reinforcing. And that is a problem. Okay, then let's take a break right here. 
and we'll be right back. You know, Ax, for a complicated New York City mayoral election of all those choices and ranked choice voting, I'm going to want a good breakfast that morning to have the energy to get through voting. You got any favorites? You know, there's only one for me, <laughs> and that's <laughs> and that's Magic Spoon. I've told you a million times I'm a cereal nut, but I'm too damn old to eat that stuff filled with sugar and crap that you shouldn't eat. And now Magic Spoon comes along. It helps me... Uh, Enjoy cereal without the carbs, sugar, unhealthy food stuff that I can't eat anymore. No more protein shakes, powder. Now I've got my thing, and it's Magic Spoon. And the ingredients are amazing, right? Yeah. Go ahead. You know, let Dr. Murphy walk you through, because you know I'm a slave to nutrition. You have in Magic Spoon, <laughs> the Wonder Cereal, zero grams of sugar, 13, and if you're lucky, 14 grams of protein, and only four, get that, four net grams of carbs in each serving. That's only 140 calories in a serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. And guess what? You can build your own box. You have the power. When what are the flavors, Mike? The flavors you choose, Professor Cereal, are coca, fruity, frosted, my favorite peanut butter, blueberry, and the delicious cinnamon. Yes, and you can decide which you like by ranked choice voting. Try them all. <laughs> uh, if you Actually, what I've learned is that if you mix cocoa and peanut butter, you know what it tastes like? It tastes exactly like a peanut butter cup. Hmm. I'm going to try that in my cereal laboratory because I, <laughs> I, I like that. I love peanut butter cups. So, look, listeners, come on. Get your cereal game up to speed. Go to magicspoon.com slash hacks and get that custom bundle of cereal and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code hacks because it'll taste better. Use hacks at checkout to save. Get this $5 off your order. Where's my slide whistle? And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash hacks and use the code hacks to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. L last point on this. You know, you said they gave her a lift by giving her this assignment. So far, they've given her, you know, the assignment to negotiate uh, something that Biden could negotiate when he was vice president, which is, you know, negotiate with those Central American countries to try and stop uh, their their people from uh, from uh, heading north. Uh, and they've handed her the uh, uh, responsibility for passing the voting rights bill. Uh, and like, I keep thinking that they're saying, Hey, we got a great car here. You can have it. You drive it. It has no carburetor, but it's yours. They haven't given her a piece of the economic pl uh, program, uh, which is, you know, Biden was the managed the, uh, the recovery act and very well, by the way, back in 2009, he, you know, he took on, you know, really meaty, uh, global assignments and so on. It doesn't seem to me like they're doing her a lot of favors here. Well, hard policy lift, but the optic opportunity for them to nail the media side and be out there visibility and elevator bit was totally there. And that's well the trip they, the trip, no doubt. The trip yeah. the trip was a grooved pitch and she should have been prepared uh better for for it. And um, you know, I again we don't know exactly what happened, but I think, okay, we beat the hell to, uh Yeah, so how's this, this for, a, for a transition here, right? All right, let's see. Yeah. Infrastructure. That's really good. It's, We're it doing was, kind of a haiku minimalist thing here. It, was, uh, it was trim. It was to the ah. point. And it really tells us where we're going to go. So I liked it. I liked it. Yeah, so, what, uh, so here's my latest thing on this. You know, Mitch McConnell is now making rumblings that he might accept the compromise that this group of Republicans has negotiated uh, uh, with Democrats in the Senate that now may be blessed by the White House or may not, but probably will be, $1.2 trillion uh, in hard infrastructure. And, you know, there's a good piece on this in the political today, but I've been thinking about this for days. Uh, I mean, this thing could really rip Democrats apart if, 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 Demo if progressive Democrats believe that this is the end. 
if they don't get an agreement from um, from Mansion, from Cinema, and some of the conservative senators, more or more conservative senators, that they're also going to vote for reconciliation with all of the social spending that Democrats want to do. Uh, I think you're going to have you know, open warfare within the Democratic Party. This seems like a huge headache for Biden. Howard. Thanks. <laughs> I wasn't sure whether that was for Murphy or for me. Thanks, Mike, for allowing me to go. <laughs> yeah. I'm taking the McConnell theory of here is, hmm, Democrats with bayonets, yeah, let them exactly. go. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I, my take on this is, uh, is, a, is, a little, is a little different, which is to say, Look, I, I think that, um, and, and it gets back to what we were talking about at the top around whether our European allies can trust us. I, I think we've got uh, two to four years to reaffirm our uh, our basic democracy uh, because Donald Trump has uh, he has lost an election, but he has not exited the stage. And I think there's every reason to think that he will be back. He will run again. And um, I don't rule out the possibility that he could be successful. So my view is we've got two years or four years to demonstrate that, uh, that our basic uh, democracy works, uh, that, that Washington works, that we can do things, that we can do popular things, that we can do necessary things, that we can do big things, um, and that we can do things that will make a meaningful difference in the lives of real people. And so I don't have a lot of sympathy for for democratic infighting, either on the left or the right, um, yeah. uh, I, you know, my, my view is it, it, the 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 imperative is to is to prove that that America uh, can actually get things done, that Congress can get things done, and that the Democratic Party can get things done. And so, you know, my hope will be that that uh, senators will recognize that that's what's at stake. That this is not just about. Right. Whether we spend, you know, a hundred billion more or less, which right. is, you know, meaningful. I'm not, I'm not, not trying to discount it, but this is about whether or not we can make the case to the American public uh, that 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 our system of government functions and functions well enough that they ought to reaffirm it in the next election and not turn to somebody who has d- demonstrably proven that he doesn't believe in the tenets of our democratic right. processes. Yeah. No, but I mean that. But that wasn't the question. I mean, I agree with you. And frankly, if he can forge a deal. And uh, I would take the deal uh, because $1.2 trillion in infrastructure for this country, which is starving for it, is, is really is, is no trivial thing. And the ability to get something done is really important. And I agree with everything you said. But my, my point, my question was different, which is it seems to me like this thing is you can see where this is going. And, you know, we've had several people in the House and Senate say, unless there is a deal. Well, I get, but my point is, David, that my hope is that Democrats will come together under either the leadership of Schumer or the leadership of Biden or the leadership of Pelosi and will come to see that the greater value is getting something done and unity and arguing on behalf of another hundred million here or another hundred million less there will not serve either the party or the country more importantly well and so that's your hope is that your expectation you know i think actually people kind of get what's happening here i mean i understand you know i worked on the hill people posture that's part of the process they set lines in the sand that's part of the process people negotiate and i don't think there's anything wrong with negotiating i don't think mm-hmm. there's anything wrong with asserting a strong position around negotiation and the process of negotiation. But at the end of the day, I do think that, that, that Democrats are aware that, that we're in a moment of danger, that while we have, you know, kind of, uh, we, we, we got, uh, uh, I wouldn't say lucky. I mean, you know, we, 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 we nominated the right candidate and at last, uh, last year and he ran a good race and he was successful. Um, but, but we're, we're not out of danger as a country. We're not out of danger as a party. And I do think that the, that danger tends to clarify the mind and hopefully will encourage people to compromise as opposed to, you know, take positions either at one extreme or the other and just insist upon them. Yeah, this has always been kind of a double game of chicken. First, the Republican negotiation, and then once certain concessions are made, like this $1.2 trillion bill, then the Democratic side. And I'm with Howard. It's a systemically important bill. 
uh, it'll it'll play well in the world. It'll play well with markets, and it's totally in the interest. I was a critic of the big infrastructure bill with all the soft infrastructure. A, a one point two trillion for the things we really need to be competitive is a no brainer, and I, I think there'd be a lot of posturing. But in the end, it's a game of chicken. And the win for the Democrats and for the president, who always gets the most credit of 1.2 million, excuse me, 1.2 trillion in hard infrastructure with GOP support is enormous. And to, to, to turn that gift horse away because of, you know, uh, selfishness in their coalition, which might happen, but I think in the end they will get swept along with it because it's, it's too good for almost everybody here to fail. I think. I mean, just just to be clear, I mean, I, and I, I was clear, I think. I agree with Howard, too. I don't think that's the question. And I do think ultimately Biden's going to be judged by what he got done. And, right. um, you know, it's really, really important for him and our democracy, as Howard says, to demonstrate that 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 you can get things uh, done, you know, but. You, you have a situation here where you have a 50-50 Senate and an almost 50-50 House, and that makes everybody an entrepreneur. And, you know, I, I think, look, Biden pulled the Democrat coalition together uh, in part because of their shared antipathy for Trump. And fear. Uh, and yes. fear of Trump. And the right. fear is still there. It's the yeah. glue. But I don't know, you know, what I see just in the rumblings here is that people, there was a piece in the AP this morning about some town in Pennsylvania where there was some uh, progressive group that was canvassing and so on. And uh, they were all grousing, you know, it's not moving fast enough. Why are we dealing with the Republicans? We're not, you know, all the stuff we care about is not moving forward. Voting rights, guns, uh, you know, progressive economic stuff. Um, and you could kind of see, you know, you can sort of see strains is all I'm saying. Oh yeah. There's going to be noise and barking, but the brass tacks are, who are the two democratic senators on the left who want to play Mitch McConnell and burn down the house in the last minute after all the barking and posturing? We saw a bunch of senators who weren't who weren't left senators, uh, including people like Michael Bennett, saying that if there wasn't an, uh, if if this didn't include climate uh, stuff and if it, if there were no sort of sidebar agreement on reconciliation, that they wouldn't vote for the bill. Now they may all change. You may you may you guys may be right that this may be all posturing, and at the end of the day, everybody will come together. The other thing, David, is look, Chuck Schumer is pretty good at what he does. Nancy Pelosi is really good at what she does. And I keep reading comparisons between Joe Biden and LBJ. So I'm assuming that he's pretty good at what he does. And these people who run the Democratic uh, Party in the House, the Senate and out of the White House, they're going to have to figure out a way to keep Democrats in line. I mean, I will tell you this. I mean, I, and I was um, I was on the Hill when uh, portions of Bill Clinton's agenda went down in 94 yeah, I was on. And we I know was, what happened, yeah. and we know what happened. And I think, and I hope that Democrats will remember that. I mean, you know, if 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 a Democratic House and Democratic Senate working with a Democratic president can't get Democratic priorities through, you basically send a signal to Democrats not to vote, right? I mean, that would be the progressive response to you, Howard. To now what you just I don't, said, see, I don't buy that because I mean, again, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm not exactly. I mean, they uh, would say that 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 that's what they want to pass is Democratic priorities, and they're being prevented from doing it. I get it. The question is, do we really think that that Democrats are going to look at a, at a trillion dollar uh, uh, infrastructure bill and say, oh, that's, you know, that's inadequate. That's not good enough. Yeah. On, on top of a one point eight trillion dollar right. uh, rescue act. I would hope that to, get, to put myself back a little bit better standing with, with my progressive friends, I would hope that that Manchin and Cinema would essentially give. And, uh, you know, their agreement that they will that they will pass something yeah. out of reconciliation. They may not be willing to pass everything that Bernie Sanders wants right, right. in reconciliation. But my hope is that they will be willing my uh, to pass something. Yeah. And that was my assumption. My assumption was that uh, that this was part of a of a deal that that Biden, you know, he had a call with Manchin a few weekends ago that was a lengthy call that was re reported, although the content wasn't. I assume part of that conversation is I, I want to play I want to play as far as I can and try and get this done with you, this bipartisan approach on the infrastructure bill. But I need your assurance because I can't get there uh, with other members of, of our coalition 
that you'll be there in some form or fashion for this reconciliation, Bill. Yeah, and he'll he'll get a fuzzy insurance. He won't get a pair of handcuffs because Manchin has too much power for that, and ideologically he's got trouble. But in the end, these things are always an essay question till the vote. And then it comes down to a couple of them who are unhappy but have to make a binary choice. Are they going to blow up the huge deal for the president of the United States? And even with all the ideological trouble, assurances will be made, soft promises that may later be broken will be made. But I just don't think if this thing gets real close, uh, anybody's going to want to do that on the Democratic side to Biden. Least of all, Michael Bennett, who's a nice guy but is no no arm breaker. Presumably... um Manchin, who has said he wants Biden to be a success, is also going to concede some things. If he is the big winner, if he's the guy who negotiated a uh, a bipartisan infrastructure agreement, um, you know, you would think that he will not deny Biden something on the reconciliation. And because Biden may be LBJ today, but if this stuff goes down, all that's going to be left is the L and it's not going to be good. So uh, that's not going to make him a success. Well, if he gets that whole spending plan, he gets to be Upton Sinclair. But anyway, that's a whole other argument <laughs> for a later episode. All right, but we, can we sum it up? I think the odds are better than not that a, a trillion plus in hard infrastructure is alive and well. I'm with Murphy. All right. I'm 50-50. Oh, <laughs> what are you, a lawyer? <laughs> on one hand, on the other hand. <laughs> I think it may be too big to fail, but I'm just telling you that the, that – this is going to be, these waters are choppy right now, and they're going to need some concessions from Manchin and Cinema on some of the other aspects of the Biden program. And there are a lot of people who feel, and this was the point of the political piece, that uh, McConnell senses that if they spend another $1.2 trillion here, that, uh, that, that, that the bank will be closed and that will, you know, people will not be willing to go. Uh, any further. So, well, well that's uh, the natural fight because then it's off brick and mortar and just stuff that R's and D's are dug on, in on, and that's the natural political fight coming down the line. Okay, let's take a break right here for a word from our sponsor and we'll be right back. You know, X, whether it's for work or play, a lot of us are going to be on the move again this summer. I know I, I will. I hope it's for play. Yeah, no, I'm heading to New Hampshire. Live free or die. So my advice to you, take your Raycon earbuds with you. I mean, look, a pair of these things fell off the truck, and I love them. Whether you're doing your Olympic-level workout like I am, or driving, or walking, or just hanging around the house, wherever you are, a pair of Raycon wireless earbuds in your ears can make all the difference. Yeah, you get crisp, powerful beats at half the price of other premium audio brands. Raycons look great, certainly on Mike Murphy, and feel even better. They come in a range of cool colors and with customizable gel tips included for a comfortable in-ear fit. And that fit is the key thing. And they, they give you a bunch so you can fit it just right. And Raycons are built to go wherever you go with quick and seamless Bluetooth pairing and a compact charging case. What I love about the thing is the case will recharge them, and it's got a miracle battery. I mean, it goes on forever. It's like 24 hours, so you don't have to always be running around trying to recharge it. Fantastic. So listen up. For our listeners, Raycon is offering 15% off all their products, and here's what you have to do to score that deal. Go to buyraycon.com slash hacks. There you'll get 15% off your entire Raycon order, and it's such a good deal, you'll want to grab a pair and a spare. So, Hackaroos, that's 15% off at buyraycom.com slash hacks. Buyraycom.com slash hacks. I know we're tight on time. we got to move on to a lot. But one quick 60-second question on this topic of frictures inside the Democratic Party. New Prime Minister of Israel, Bibi's finally gone. Kind of a weird coalition of the right, center, even even you know a bit of the left. It's it's tricky. Not a bit. Like the left's in there. Yeah, yeah. But just who defines the governing policy? Starting with with Bennett is one sure way to go. How, how does that work in the in the schism right now that we see between some of the progressives who take a less traditional democratic view of the Palestinian issue? Uh, and traditional supporters of Israel. Does it make it better? Does it make it worse? Does it no impact or yet to be seen? My hope is that it makes it better. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I think that, uh, that the Netanyahu government did enormous damage uh, in, um, in alienating Democrats, 
especially during the Obama administration uh, and then into the Trump administration. And I think that uh, they helped turn what was a bipartisan commitment to the state of Israel in this country into a much more of a partisan mm-hmm. uh, schism around the question of, of Israel. Uh, and for those of us who are strong supporters of a, of a U.S.-Israel relationship, that was very disconcerting. Um, and my hope is that uh, that the government there will recognize, as as I believe it has and will, that uh, there is work to be done in restoring uh, productive relationships between uh, the Israeli government and uh, and Democrats in this country. And you know, it is I, I think it is it, it is absolutely imperative for the long term future of Israel to maintain. Uh, strong relationships with both sides of the aisle in this in this country, and if we don't have that, I think that uh, that Israel uh, eventually suffers. Um, and and as somebody again who wants to see a strong U.S.-Israel relationship, that's a very a very disconcerting thing. And I and, and I think the, and I think Lapid and Bennett understand that uh, well and are gonna are gonna work to fix that. Yeah, Bennett um, has said that he wants to repair relationships with Democrats in the country. He comes obviously from, he's probably farther right uh, on issues of settlement and, and, and the two-state solution than, than Netanyahu. But, you know, what was interesting to me about this, given the discussion we just had, I mean, all these groups came together not because they were ideologically coherent, but because they thought democracy was at stake. Uh, Netanyahu, like Trump, uh, did not believe in rules or laws or norms of democracy, divided for his own political profit, and really tore Israeli society apart. He did other things that were, 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 were positive, you know, leaving uh, his relationship with the Palestinians aside, but the economy was stronger and so on. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, he, he was not, he was willing to tear his democracy apart for his own benefit. And they said, no, we don't, we, the democracy is so important that we're going to set aside our differences. How it works in practice yeah. is going to be important. That's going to be a tough act to follow. Well, the glue is they all agree on who they hate and very little else, which is hard to sustain. I think that is a very important point, David. I think that when you look at the coalition that elected Joe Biden, it was a coal, it was a broad coalition of Democrats from left to right focused on electability uh, and wanting to um, nominate the strongest possible candidate against Trump, willing to put internal divisions aside. You're seeing the same thing. uh, You saw the same thing in Israel, where a broad coalition came together concerned about uh, about the um, the illiberal trend uh, that Israel was moving forward under Netanyahu. Um, and, you know, there's a, there's a model here, right? There's a model when you have uh, someone in power who people perceive is directly threatening democracy and the rule of law. There is, um, thankfully, still the ability of people on all sides to, to come together. And, you know, look, credit to our friend M- Mike Murphy, uh, who was part of something similar in this country. I mean, you had people who you know, were traditional Republicans, uh, real Republicans, uh, who understood that, you know, there, when it came to questions around rule of law and basic democracy, that there was, that those were more important than, than what tax policy was. And you saw that in Israel, you saw that in this country. And, you know, you, you will, hopefully you will continue to see some sense of that unity play out both here and in Israel. Don't feed his ego. We'll never hear the end of this. <laughs> let, let me, I, I enjoyed that. We might have to play it twice and I'll even cap it with, uh, one last thing. I also turned down BB twice working for him. So I've got an unblemished record on. Yeah, man. Now, on the other hand, I'm working in a Quiznos now. I, you know, I walk by the RNC and <laughs> they start throwing shit out the window after 30 years as a general in that army. But uh, in fact, we got we got yeah. to finish the podcast because there's a cleanup that they need you for uh, on aisle uh, in the yeah. aisle out there. So uh, we got to talk about the New York City mayor's race because that's yes. going to end up being one of the you know in the next week. That's going to be a huge political story nationally. Will and it will be read through the lens of national politics. But I just want to play you this quick uh, clip from Mitch McConnell. I want to further this discussion of democracy and what democracy demands. But this was McConnell being asked by Hugh Hewitt uh, whether he would do the same thing all over again in 2023 and four 
if uh, I guess 24, if there was a Supreme Court vacancy and he is restored as majority leader of the Senate. And this is what he said. Well, I think in the middle of a presidential election, if you have a Senate of the opposite party of the president, you have to go back to the 1880s to find the last time a vacancy was filled. So I think it's highly unlikely. In fact, no, I don't think either party, if it controlled, if it were different from the president, would confirm a Supreme Court nominee in the middle of an election. Now, I've been scouring the Constitution here. I find no language that says that a president has three years to appoint a Supreme Court justice. And he's, historically, he's wrong because uh, a Democratic Congre- a Senate uh, confirmed Justice Kennedy in the 19, 1980s, not the, the 1880s. But uh, having said that, the thing that struck me about this, guys, was Whenever you shred a norm in a democracy, it's very hard to reassemble. I think he's right. I don't think Democrats would ever, you know, I don't think Democrats would confirm a Republican president's nominee in the final year now because McConnell has established uh, a new rule. Right, right. And I think Biden used to be for it way back when, though I frankly don't mind it so much in the first quarter of a presidential election. You can make the argument later about it. But yeah, I agree. Norm shredding is not good. And that's the prime business right now of American politics, which is tragic. I think actually, David, it's it's worse than that because he was asked to follow up by Hugh Hewitt and Hugh Hewitt suggested the possibility of a, a nominee uh, that, that might be appointed in the year before a presidential election yeah. if, the, if the Republicans control the Senate. And, and McConnell didn't even commit to giving a hearing in the year before a presidential right. election. So yeah. I actually, I mean, that is look, as, re- as ridiculous as the, as the first position is, in my view, that that one is even, is even more ridiculous. I mean, you ba- it basically says that if the, uh, if the Senate is controlled by a party of the other power, uh, other they're parties, not they're not, they're, they're, yeah, there will be no hearings. It does sort of make you wonder what Justice Breyer is thinking and not retiring now and giving Biden a clean shot at, uh, at confirming a, a replacement. Yeah, I completely agree. And uh, I, I also think that, that that McConnell's comments around around the third year of a, of a presidency and what that person might expect from a Senate of the other party, I think will also serve to uh, focus the minds of Democrats in a lot of different ways, because this is yeah, the, this is this is what Democrats are up against. Time to pay the meter, but we will be right back. Now, let's hear from our sponsor. You know, Mike, if there's one thing we've learned in the past few years, folks are moving around. People are moving for uh, lifestyle reasons. They're moving for jobs. And it makes being able to pack up and go more important than ever. Now, you may think, yeah, right, because you know the hassles of moving heavy furniture, taking it apart, putting it back together. In fact, I'm just imagining you doing that stuff and wondering if you're sleeping on the floor. (laughs) But if you're a longtime listener of Hacks on Tap, you already know. There's a furniture brand that might as well be made for moving. It's called Burrow. You know, Mr. Axelrod, you are correct. There's no bigger pain in the neck than getting out the metric wrenches and trying to put this crazy furniture together. Well, Burrow has this figured out. Burrow's innovative, modular design and super helpful instructions make assembling and, more important, disassembling your furniture quick and hassle-free. So when it's time to move, for whatever reason, your Burrow furniture will not hold you back. It is designed for the way you live. I mean, their credenzas are perfect for TV because they have adjustable height interior shelves. And we've all had the credenza with the little brass shelf holder things that you need to get a pliers and do contortionist yoga to pull the damn things out. Burrow thinks about you and gets that right so the adjustable height interior shelves and cord organizing holes are at each corner. You know what I like is their all new range collection because it features wider seats for you and me brother and deeper (laughs) cushions. And that contemporary Scandinavian look that the left loves and I love too frankly. Got a (laughs) bunch of it. So spare yourself the warehouse trip and shop online. Everything is designed to work perfectly together in your living space so all you've got to do is add it to the cart. Plus Burrow's world-class support team is available for you 
whenever you need. Fast free shipping on every order saves you an average of $100 on large items like a couch. So right now you can get $75 off your first order at burrow.com slash hacks. That's burrow, B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash hacks. And what's the magic offer, David? For $75 off your burrow purchase, burrow.com slash hacks. New York City, the Big Apple, yes, uh, has uh, is electing uh, or nominating candidates for mayor uh, on June twenty second, and it is a crazy race to try and scope out. Uh, but well, uh, the main thing is we have this ranked choice voting now. Howard, Professor Wilson, maybe yes. you can explain to our vast listenership um, exactly what ranked choice is and how it kind of works in this election. It makes it hard to poll, makes it hard to know, though I think it may conform more to normal than people assume, but who knows? But why don't you explain it? Think think of it as a master class, Howard. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I, so I, I have been asked this question, and I have failed to adequately figure out a way <laughs> to explain it. Uh, it. It will take more time than we have on this podcast. Uh, I think what people should know is that you're going to go in, you're going to vote, you're going to be given a piece of paper that's going to have obviously all the names of the candidates, and then you will get to rank them one through five in the order that you prefer them. Uh, and if your, uh, if your candidate uh, that you have ranked fifth gets uh, knocked out uh, in, is the lowest ranked candidate, you know what? Forget, forget it. I'm giving up. The, yeah. the- <laughs> Basically, as I understand it, which will be equally convoluted, you rank one through five, and the theory is if if your top choices don't make it, you're you're you still have a voice in sort of the runoff of it in the second and third people you might have voted for. Now the polling says, which tries to do this. I'd like to listen to somebody. I'm sure it's mostly online because nobody will stay on the phone. Do the ranking deal, and then they kind of calculate. And right now the. Uh, the race kind of, it used to be all about Andrew Yang, uh, who had a lot of name ID, but the rough and tumble of city politics seems to have roughed him up quite a bit. And now what would you call it? Kind of a three and a halfway race, do you think, Howard, at the top with the progressive candidates and kind of surprisingly, the more pragmatic candidates seeming to do well. Um, The former sanitation commissioner and uh, a former police officer who was the state senator, Eric Adams, and now is the uh, Bronx uh, borough president. I think they're Brooklyn. Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Sorry, sorry. I think there are four candidates who can win: Eric Adams, who is a state senator, former cop; uh, Catherine Garcia, who was uh, Bill De Blasio's sanitation commissioner and also worked for Mike Bloomberg; uh, Andrew Yang, who you mentioned uh, ran for president; uh, and um, uh, Maya Wiley, Maya Wiley who, yeah. who is a uh, lifelong civil rights advocate and uh, worked in the De Blasio administration as his counsel. I think the, the race has come down to those four candidates, although there are many other candidates who are still running. It's really interesting. This poll, uh, Marist had a poll out yesterday that uh, that had Adams winning and Garcia finishing second when you go. And they went through the whole ranked voting deal. The Garcia story is really interesting because um, she was not ter- you know, really highly ranked on the radar screen she may have been well liked but and then she got endorsed by the new york times she got endorsed by the new york news um you know she's not a very flamboyant candidate uh kind of a you know she's a very experienced municipal bureaucrat is what she is and it makes me wonder you know, i always have this um this uh replica remedy theory about mayor's races and presidential races they're the only ones where it really works but people know the candidates so well uh, know the office so well and the people who hold them and the predecessor defines the race and no never do people choose the replica of what they have they always choose the remedy so the question is what is the deficiency in de blasio that people most want to. Where, where do we begin? Yeah, well, we, we need another hour, Jeff. Um, and we should point out, Howard and I used to share an office with him uh, in 2000 during the Hillary Clinton for Senate campaign. So we know Bill well. I consider him a friend. But I would say that if you ask people, if you did research, and Howard, you've done a ton of research in New York, competence probably rises to the top of the list. It's a big one. If, if, if the... Uh if the if if we settle on competence as the uh, as the fix that people want, 
as the uh, incompetence is the perceived deficiency, competence is the fix. Then yes, uh, Catherine Garcia is well positioned, and I think to the extent that that's what what some voters are focused on, that's why she's doing as well as she is. Um, there is another big issue though in the race, which is crime. Yes, um, right. Uh, we, um, you know, New York City is not the only city to be experiencing a crime wave, but um, New Yorkers are increasingly concerned about rising crime and disorder. Uh, we had murder was up in the city 40% last year. It's up uh, double digits again this year. And you have a lot of people here who remember what the city used to be like, don't want to return to those bad old days. And uh, as a result of that, you have uh, Eric Adams, who is a former cop, uh, who has a very interesting story. Um, he was um, actually beaten up by cops uh, when he was a teenager. He uh, was recruited by um, a group of ministers to become a police officer himself to fight uh, bad cops from within. And so he spent 20 years basically uh, fighting uh, police misconduct from within the force and also obviously fighting a crime uh, during his day, during the day job, part of his uh, part of his job. And so he has really sort of um, focused on this kind of uh, concern about rising crime. And I think that that uh, that kind of balance message, uh, which he has articulated, which is to say, hey, we're going to we're going to get rid of bad cops. Uh, we're going to do something about bad cops. And I have a long record of, uh, of fighting bad cops, but I also have a long record of fighting crime and we're going to do something about crime. Uh, if he wins, I think that, that 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 kind of balanced approach and the focus on crime uh, and criminal justice reform will be credited with his victory. Yeah, he's kind of an interesting hybrid because he, there's you know so much tension in the city about crime. There's also racial tension with the NYPD, you know, historically. And as an African-American former cop, we, we saw this in Los Angeles a long time ago from a guy named Tom Bradley, who was elected mayor. And he was kind of a hybrid candidate. And if you look at this mayor's poll, which I, I've got too, the tabs are fascinating because in a majority-minority city, uh, he's dominating the black vote, Adams is. Maya Wiley is also of color. He's beaten her four to one. And so he's got that base, and he's also got the the resume on crime. You put those two together— and that he's holding a lot of good cards in this, I think. Um, but he's been under scrutiny because of this classic tabloid local issue about there's an apartment he owns or co-owns New Jersey. And so he's, you know, he's front runner because he's so under fire. But in these tabs, he is, he's showing a lot of strength. And Andrew Yang, who was kind of the frothy name ID candidate, has like nothing, I think, at least if this polling is accurate because he doesn't dominate any any group. Um uh, and Catherine Garcia, as as you said, with her New York Times endorsement as the quality candidate, is uh, uh, has some clumps here. So uh, it's going to be fascinating how that second and third choice stuff, uh, does that change the opinion you see in the first choice and modify it, or will it land the way a normal race would? Well, one thing about her, not uh, Catherine Garcia, is she's not a particularly ideological candidate, and therefore she she may end up being a lot of people's second choice. Uh, and that could redound to her uh, her benefit in this. You know, the one thing about the Adams uh, residency thing, the, the the thing was he was found to be staying at uh, at his office, at his borough president's office, and and uh, spending a lot of time in Jersey at this condo that he co-owns with his partner. And you know, but it's really hard. This guy's been a, a New York City police officer, a state senator, borough president. Um, you know. My experience in politics is the things that hurt are the things that actu- that that confirm what people believe. I'm not sure, Howard, that people believe he's not really a New Yorker. No, they. they it, I don't think it hurt, has really hurt him at all. Um, I also think you know that, that he he gave a tour of his uh, residence that he owns in Brooklyn, and he had reporters coming in and looking at his shoe closet and opening his refrigerator. And I think at the end of the day, look, if you're concerned about rising crime and, and right. murder, murders, you don't really care what's in his fridge. You know, that's yeah. just not that's not how you're you're not going to vote on that issue. Yeah, there is a there is a concern in fairness that he is kind of an old line, an old style politician in his relationships. And uh, so, you know, th- there's kind of a clubhouse kind of 
Yeah, but if that uh, cut, Yang would have had longer legs, I think. You know what I mean? I think that whenever the stakes go up, people get a little more comfortable with pros because uh, they have something to lose and rather than going on a bender with a, with a guy who's, I'm new, I'm fresh, I've never done it. The polling has been really consistent throughout that when you give people the choice between somebody with experience in government and, and an outsider, they want, this is an election where they want experience. That has been very, very clear uh, for quite well, some Well, and the time. fact that those two are at the top speaks to that. Yeah. You know, I, th- I, th- I think that um, the interesting thing, you know, for, for people who are listening outside of New York, which I imagine is most people, uh, you know, the, 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 you ha- the New Yorkers really do have a choice um, between two very different criminal justice messages. Mm-hmm. You know, Adams, we've discussed this kind of balance, tough on crime, tough on bad cops. And Maya Wiley, who is much closer to the defund movement, although she wouldn't use that word, but has pledged to cut uh, money from the NYPD and has an ad up now that is very, very critical of the NYPD. And I and Democrats in the city are 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 have been presented with two, you know, very well articulated uh, choices around the issue of crime and criminal justice between two very authentic candidates. I mean, Maya Wiley is a lifelong civil rights advocate, so. It's authentic for her to be talking about uh, going after bad cops, and Adams, as we talked about, it is a is a cop. Uh, and and if if the if the primary electorate comes down on the side of Adams, I think that will say something very interesting about where the Democratic Party actually is on some of these questions. Yeah, isn't that the national message? How that yes. lands, because this is not an electorate that is. Uh, um, it's special. It's a real core Democratic primary, much more liberal kind of electorate, and that that really will write the new narrative, I think, on some of this to fund the police stuff. If if it is a victory for Adams over yep. Wiley, who who do you, Howard, think is more likely to kind of overachieve expectations, uh, Garcia or Wiley, of the top uh, three? I actually think Yang may uh, may be likely to exceed expectations um, because. I think if you look at his strong supporters, Asian Americans, uh, ultra Orthodox Jews in the outer boroughs, uh, you know, n- n- sort of non-socialist millennials, th- those are groups that are hard to poll, as we know. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I don't think it's out of the question that his that he's actually overperforming his numbers a, a little bit. I don't know by how much. Uh, and I, if I were them, if I were his campaign, I wouldn't. Uh, that wouldn't make me sleep all that much better at night. Uh, but uh, I think it's possible that he could open. Well, having started as the front runner, he's uh, cleverly uh, reduced expectations. So now he's in a position to <laughs> he's in a position to exceed them. Hey, we got to very quickly go to our our mailbag. It's mailbag. There you go, Howard. We're you're, we're a hip group over we're here. We're spinning the hot wax. We're like that a is, broken hip group. As a music expert, Howard, that is actually a historically uh, famous jingle, just resung. That is the great old Pam's package on the 60s that was in every boss radio station in America and the UK. So it's a golden oldie. Okay, if you have a question for the hacks, you can email us at hacksontap at gmail.com. That is hacksontap at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate us, insult us, comment, do whatever you want on the Apple Podcast app. You can even share the Hacks on Tap podcast with your friends or enemies. We encourage you to do that. We love to get feedback from our listeners. All right, David, question one for the great Howard Wilson. Yes. Uh, Howard, you know, I was just thinking, by the way, while you're reading that, uh, Mike, that maybe we should turn our jingle into uh, voicemail answering messages uh, for the winning questions. But anyway, we can talk about that later. Uh, the singers are unionized, so if you're ready to write the <laughs> check, anything is possible. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Howard, Jim asks, uh, last year Alaskans adopted new election rules with an open primary and ranked choice voting in the general election. Will campaigns be less rancorous and candidates looking for points on which they agree in order to court second place votes from the backers of other candidates? And once in office, will politicians have greater incentive to compromise? What are the chances of other states adopting this approach over the next decade? Let's repurpose this and say, what have you learned about ranked choice voting, which you couldn't even explain, by the way, uh, that make you feel better about democracy? Yes, and sadly, I'm one of the experts. Uh, (laughs) So uh, um, I think the answer is that it seems to have diminished the incentive for campaigns to run negative ads. So we have not seen any negative advertising on television so far. Uh, there's still some few days a few left. Days so left yeah. You never know. But 
you know, we we have not seen any negativity on television. Um, And typically uh, what what used to happen in our races was that uh, no, no, no candidate in a primary would get 40 percent. And that would then trigger a runoff between the top two candidates. And those two candidates in a runoff tended to go uh, pretty hard at one another on television. There was always negative advertising in the runoff. Well, here we don't have a runoff. And so I do think that the impact will be if you are following this race on television, you probably will not see any negative ads. The caveat to that is that um, while there may not be negative advertising on TV or online, uh, the candidates have not been shy about going after one another uh, at uh, during debates and holding press conferences. So I'm not sure it has diminished the negativity uh, from candidate to candidate, but it has diminished the negativity uh, in paid advertising. Um, and then I w- w- one final caveat, which is you know the candidates are 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 figuring this out as they go along too. Um, and so it's not clear to me that the strategies that they have necessarily been pursuing around rank choice are, are the right ones. Um, but that, that is, that has, that, that, that has been the strategy that they have been pursuing, uh, as we're watching it playing out in New York now. Yeah. That's my gut reaction that they, there will be more candidate reluctance. This is going to kill me, the stringer voters, but if it works for somebody going forward, they're all jumping it like hyenas. You know, they're ruthlessly pragmatic. And right now they don't know either. So right. you're right. It's totally an experiment. I thought hyenas were the ones that laughed. The laugh is the last thing you hear, I think. It's a, it's, it's a maniacal laugh, David. <laughs> yeah. I see. Yeah. The absence of a runoff is, is interesting because this primary has produced uh, three. There are four front runners. I'd, I'd characterize three as relatively moderate. Yes, correct. That's the big message if one of them wins, I think. Cat bites dog in New York City. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if there were, uh, if there is a different effect if you, ju- if you had a runoff. Uh, if you would have had someone run, like Maya, Maya Wiley has, has sort of moved left in the last few weeks, left of where she was. But would someone have, have tried to galvanize that vote? Well, I think, she, I think she has tried to do that. I mean, I think that they've done a pretty good job, actually, of consolidating the left. Uh, in part because the two other progressive candidates have kind of collapsed due to various bad news and scandal. Um, and so I, she kind of um, seized her opportunity and has kind of solidified the, uh, the, the left uh, in, uh, in the primary. Um, I would say that, that she's got 15% first choice uh, vote. Stringer and Morales have another 10. No, the, the, uh, look, if, if, if the top two candidates um, turn out to be two moderates, uh, it will say something rather interesting about the, uh, the ideological bent of the Democratic electorate in New York City. I'm not sure it will turn out that way, by the way. I mean, it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me if Maya Wiley ended up being in the top two. Um, but, but it's certainly not a given. Yeah, and again, there's the de Blasio effect. Uh, you know, my version of David's theory is people vote for what they think they did not get the last time. They yeah, want same thing. Yeah. Uh, okay, David, a question for you. And oh my God, it's an ACA question. So everybody put on your seatbelts. This is from Guy. It seems to me that Biden's infrastructure bill is going to receive the same fate as the Affordable Care Act and receive little to no Republican support. Has the Biden administration learned any lessons from the Obama years when it comes to dealing with Republicans in Congress? So this question I get often and it fries my ass because it just belies uh, history. There's no doubt that uh, Democrat that we spent a lot of time, too much time in 2009 talking with uh, Max Baucus, who was chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, a, Demo- a Democrat uh, who wanted to try and forge a bipartisan uh, agreement. But, uh, you know, we did that because uh, he wanted that. The majority leader wanted that. Uh, and they assure- assured us that they thought they could get there. Um but I would point out that ultimately we did pass the Affordable Care Act. The Affordable Care Act is law. In fact, Donald Trump, for all the people who say, gee, the Republicans sure know how to fight, Democrats don't know how to fight. Donald Trump tried to tried to uh, end the Affordable Care Act. And we all remember John McCain turning his thumb down and uh, and preventing that from 
happening. So the Affordable Care Act exists. It's in law. Uh, hopefully it will be strengthened uh, over the course of this administration. Um, so I hope that Biden is as successful with his plans as we were with the Affordable Care Act. Hallelujah. And RIP John McCain, a great Republican. So Carlton says Arizona and Georgia were the extra cushion on the top on top of the traditional blue wall that gave Biden the presidency. Do these states revert to red form in 2022? Or will the ever-increasing level of GOP crazy keep the suburban defectors in the Democrat column? Well, Carlton, that is the big question. So when you kind of put the mix master together, a lot of different factors. One, candidates. In Arizona, in the critical Senate race, Mark Kelly is very popular. He's a very compelling candidate. He's a more center Democrat. Uh, that, that'll help the D's. Demographically, both states are creeping in the Democratic direction. And Biden did super overperform in the suburbs, thanks to the insanity of Donald Trump and uh, his accolades in the GOP. But in a midterm election, some of those young voters and voters of color who traditionally vote more Democratic tend not to show up. Lots of grumpy old white people show up, and that tends to help the Republican Party. So they're going to be really close and really tight. I think the Dems may have the incumbent candidacy candidacy advantages, but it, I, I can't predict it either way. It, it's it's up in the air, but they're, they're, both states are definitely in play. Don't forget how thin the margins were last time. The primaries in these states are going to say a lot. So, right, right. Totally right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys, we're out of time. Howard Wilson, you are a font of wisdom and we'll see and we'll see how whether your uh, your your insights prove out on June 22nd. If not, we will have you back on June 29th. Howard, we're going to send you a, a Hacks on Tap beer mug full of aspirin as you figure out who your seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth choices are for <laughs> you, that you, ballot. You, only, you, only, you didn't listen carefully, Mike. You only get five. Only five. Get I know, five. but I, want, I thought the joke worked better with seven through eight. Well, one through five is hard enough. But anyway, thank you, my friend. Great to hear your voice and have you here on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Murphy, we'll see you soon. We'll see you, David. Thank you. 